0: This morning, I want to speak on uh, a message that I want to frame uh, with the picture of the nativity scene in mind. And I want you to just, uh, just to, for a few moments, just uh, go back to that manger in Bethlehem um, that the the, the whole uh, birth of Jesus is shrouded with, in great humility. I just want you to, to just try and imagine the stench in that manger, the, a crib which uh, was a feeding trough as his bed, uh, the, the, the chorus of uh, barn animals and um, the whole environment. I, it was It's just uh, amazing to, to see how when the father sent his son into this world, it did it in the most humble of circumstances. You know, we get lots of uh, memes during the uh, Christmas season, but this one really is my favorite uh, picture of all. And it shows you uh, Mary, and she is totally exhausted. Gosh, every time I see this picture, something just moves in my spirit totally exhausted from the long journey uh, to Bethlehem, and then she is um, in labor. They didn't have any of these epidurals or or medication in those days to ease the pain. And the most unlikely uh, midwife in all of Judea, which was Joseph, Joseph, it was uh, it, It's just absolutely humbling. Now, I want to frame this message today. This is my last sermon of 2021, and I want to close with a bang. I want to just share something that's really in my heart today. It's a real prophetic word uh, that I received this week from a prophet, and I want to frame that in that prophetic uh, sense. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verses 24 to 26. It says, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. And Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown to him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of his pride, of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. Now, the life of Hezekiah is recorded in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and the book of Isaiah. 11 chapters, large chunk of Scripture dedicated to this one individual. Why? Because there's so many lessons for us to learn from this man. When Hezekiah began his reign at the age of 25, he inherited from his father a very chaotic, very divided, confused kingdom. And it was during his rule that he established the the kingdom of God. He established true worship in Judah. He restored the priesthood. He repaired the house of God. He restored tithing. He restored financial support from the priesthood, for the priesthood. And it was during his reign that Judah experienced one of her greatest revivals that she had ever experienced. And this is recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. They had an open heaven. And there's a scripture verse in that chapter. It says God healed everyone in Jerusalem. They had a very powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And in this passage, Hezekiah was at the prime of his life. He had just uh, been healed miraculously. And God added 15 years to his life, but, uh, but and, and, um, and the Lord established him as king over all of Judah. The kingdom was booming and was prospering because of his leadership. The borders of Judah were expanded and secure and all this success got into his head His ego became inflated. It totally blindsided him. And I'm going to talk about the Hezekiah syndrome, which is a strange disease that affects people who have or are enjoying some measure of success in their lives. It happened to a wealthy man in Luke chapter 12 who was prospering so much That he said to himself this internal dialogue that I'm going to build myself bigger bonds to accommodate the increase and my soul will be at ease. Eat, drink and be merry and enjoy for the rest of your life. Not knowing that his life was going to be cut short that very day. It happened to another rich man in the Bible called Nabal in the Old Testament. Who because of his great wealth and became prideful and insolent and treated David's servant with great disdain after all that David had done for him. It happened to an archangel called Lucifer, filled with pride, thought he could become equal with God and ascend the throne of God. I tell you, my friends, in religious matters, nothing foils like success. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that has no eternal value. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. I tell you, humility is the doorway to wisdom. Pride is so subtle. It is so scary that it requires a daily humbling of yourself before God. I'm telling you, my friends, we need to put on that humility, a garment of humility each and every day of our lives and make every attempt to keep ourselves small in our own eyes and never leave your home every morning. Never leave your home without saying to the Lord, Lord, keep me small in my own eyes. Listen to the advice of one of the most faithful Uh, sorry, most famous boxers in the world, Mike Tyson. He went from the heights of boxing to the pits, and he said that if you are not humble, life has a way of visiting humbleness upon you. Proverbs 16 and verse 5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. James tells us, God resists the proud. I'm 62 this year, and yes, God has blessed me. He has blessed this church, he has blessed this house. He has blessed our international network of churches. He has blessed the Bible College of Wales. And he has blessed everything that I put my hands on. He has blessed my family. He has increased our tribe. He has established me as the head. And the Lord has given me a prophetic promise. In fact, this week, a prophet wrote to me and says, Pastor Young, God has given a promise to you that he will bless you. And he will continue to bless you as long as you keep one condition. That you remain small in your own eyes and humble before him. Come on. Let me warn you. That if you want to take this path of humility, and you are saying, God, teach me the way of humility, strange things will start happening to you. I'm telling you, God will orchestrate events. He will orchestrate circumstances in your life where you are going to find yourself being challenged. Your pride is going to be dented again and again and again. You'll be picked on by others. The cashier will be rude to you for no reason. The waitress will be mean to you. You will hear of others prospering and you will be languishing. You'll go into a restaurant. You'll order your food first, get your food last, and you'll be misunderstood. You'll be criticized unjustly. You're thinking, my goodness, what's happening? Well, that's what you ask for. If you ask God to bring you to this path of humility, to make you small, I tell you, God is going to bring people into your life and he's you put you in situations where your pride is going to be dented again and again and again and again and you just got to keep getting lower and lower and lower and lower because God sits high but he looks low, amen. And God alone knows how to humble us without humiliating us. Have you ever said to yourself, and I've done this uh, before I, I guess everybody else in this room, if I didn't have this problem, if I didn't have this person in my life, if I didn't have this debt, if I didn't have this situation, my life would be perfect. Woo! Well, all these things are in your life to make you perfect. Hallelujah. Amen. There's no other way to bring you to this place with humility. God is to bring you to this path. Amen. Now, pride is very subtle. And I want to close this year to deal with this issue of pride once and for all. Yeah, I, I'm telling you this. I believe with all my heart this is a word from God. It's very subtle. It's manifested in a few different ways which I like to explain to you. Number one, one of the most subtle forms of pride is we don't think that we need his counsel any longer. We start by making our decisions on our own, independent of him. He's no longer the source of our wisdom, no longer the source of our counsel. We don't ask him what he thinks before we make critical decisions. And we start to think that we have the ability to direct our own steps, that we are, and that is essentially the essence of pride, that we don't need him anymore. And this was the sin of Adam and Eve. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to make their own decisions. They wanted to chart their own destinies. And they wanted to say, Lord, we want to be in charge of our own lives. You know, the whole episode in the Jalan Sultan property taught me one lesson that you never make a critical decision without asking God for counsel. I made that mistake. I've apologized for it. I've taken full responsibility for it. But boy, have I grown from it as well. Amen. There's something about embracing a weakness and saying, God, I recognize my sin. I recognize. And I say this to you and it will never happen again. Not in this church. And I'm determined to make myself accountable to my pastors. I want them to challenge my presuppositions. I want them to say to me, Pastor, did you pray about this? I want them to say to me, did you get a specific word from God? Do you sense his peace about this decision? I've given them permission to challenge and question me. It's not a question of check and balances. It's like, we got to make sure we reign the senior pastor. Don't make sure he he doesn't have too much power. That's not it. It's about submission. uh, Because if you can't submit to one another, you can't submit to God. Paul said in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Man, we cannot make the mistake again. In our lives especially, don't determine in your life, Lord, this is the last year, this is the last year. I'm ever going to make a decision without answer. I'm going to ask your counsel. I'm going to seek your direction with every decision I make. Amen. The second form of pride is that we no longer think that and depend on Him as the source of our strength. Now, my friends, if you want to study the subject of faith, who do you look at in the Bible? Who do you look at? You look at Abraham, right? He's the father of faith. I mean, God brought that man from one level of faith to another level of faith to another level of faith and perfected faith in Abraham. If you want to look at the subject of meekness, who do you look at? You look no further than than Moses, right? Because the Lord himself said, this is the meekest man on this planet. And Moses' meekness came about through the trials that he went through, the opposition and hostility that he had to face. If you want to study wisdom, who do you study? Solomon, I mean, he's the gold standard, right? You look no further than Solomon. And God gave him a wisdom the world had never seen before since. And Jesus alluded to that wisdom as well. If you want to study long-suffering, who do you look at? The Apostle Paul. Paul said himself that I became a pattern for long-suffering to the church. But if you want to study the subject of humility, if you're crying out to God and say, God, make me small in my own eyes. Teach me humility. Then the role model for us is King David. Because apart from our Lord Jesus, no one had to go through greater humiliation than David. In 1 Chronicles chapter 18 and verse 4, there's an interesting story here of David. It says that David took from him 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and also David humstrung all the chariot horses except that he spared enough for them for 100 chariots. Now, the story is interesting. David had just defeated the mighty Syrian army. And it captured a huge chunk of their military hardware. And the next thing that David does, he does the unthinkable, man. He hamstrings all their horses. Now I've always been puzzled by this verse. But I realize it has to do with the issue of dependency because this is a big issue with God. Who you place your trust in. Amen. The psalmist declare, some put their trust in horses, some put their trust in chariots, but we will put our trust in the Lord. Amen. You know, in the days of old, the chariots, the horses were awesome war machines. And when you had them in your army, it meant superiority over your enemy. Ten chariots charging at full speed, man, could route several platoons of foot soldiers. A hundred chariots thundering down the plain. Woo, that's a sight, man, that's a scary thing. I was, when I was in the national service, I was in armor. And uh, sometimes we had to move our vehicles uh, from the east to the west about two o'clock in the morning, you know, when there was no traffic. And when you have 50 tanks, 50 armored personal carriers on the road, uh, it's a very scary thing. The sound it makes is, is deafening, right? Um, but David did not just capture 100 chariots. He had 1,000 chariots, uh, which meant that he was now the geopolitical superpower in the Middle East. And on top of that, add 7,000 horsemen into your army reserves, 20,000 foot soldiers. Woo, what an army! And then David does the unthinkable. He hamstrung all the chariot horses and this was done to prevent the horses from ever being used in battle again I, like i said i've always been puzzled at this word but had to do it had to do with the whole idea of dependency why would david do such a thing i mean no ancient king would do something like this it was like taking off the tracks to your tanks right with all the weaponry israel would be the would be the power superpower it would be undefeated untouchable so why did David hamstring, hamstring, hamstring all those horses and destroy the chariots? It's to remind Israel that their dependency for every battle is God and God alone. Man, this is an essential part of our faith journey. My friends, we've come this far, not because of the fact that we're smart people, not because of the fact that we, can, we are good in spiritual warfare. It's because God has fought our battles for us. We have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that we're this far only because of God's grace. I'm not that smart, my friends. I don't have the smarts. I don't have the intelligence. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that I'm nothing, but I'm telling you this, we have a God who fights our battles. for. Amen. This, was, uh, this week, a prophet wrote to me and said, Pastor Young, I saw in a vision you standing on the platform. And stamping your feet on the ground. And the word of the Lord comes and he says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I'm telling you this, God has given us a prophetic word that next year we're going to see major battles, but God's going to fight the battles for us. Amen. This is how we fight our battles. Amen. But it was more than that. David was following a biblical precedence. Look back in the days of Joshua, Joshua 11. Israel was about to fight a battle with a huge army made up of many nations. The Lord says, don't worry about them. I'll give you the victory. But when you get the victory, I want you to hamstring all their war horses and burn the chariots with fire. This is Joshua chapter 11 and verse 9. This is the original chariots of fire. Hallelujah. Amen. And Joshua and David showed showed up the way of faith that true victory comes only when we totally depend on God to fight our battles. Come on. Am I speaking to somebody here today? You know, every morning I partake of communion. I did this this morning again. I do this every day because I want to acknowledge that He is the source of my strength and the source of my health. And I want to just tell you this, that it's amazing that since I began doing this, I've been at the top of my health. I've been really in good health. It doesn't mean that I don't fall sick. It doesn't mean I won't be afflicted somewhere in the future. All I know And this is my testimony. All I know is when I started taking communion every day, God has kept me in good health. It's not a magic formula. It is not superstition. It's a matter of dependency. I acknowledge that my health and my strength come from him. And some of you may be frowned at this and say, well, that's a pretty religious thing to do. But when you get to my age, I'm telling you, you will trust me and thank me that you were obedient. Amen. I've got people writing to me from around the world saying, Pastor, thank you so much for sharing with us about communion. We've been doing it every day and God has blessed our lives. I'm telling you, each morning I never fail to have communion and I never fail to thank God for divine health and for healing because I'm where I am only by the grace of God. My friends, we got to come to a place where we're acknowledging that God is our strength. God does not need more of your strength. He's got enough. What he wants is your weakness because he's got none of that. Hallelujah. Woo! Thank you for that amazing response. All right. Uh, The third form of pride is this insatiable need for recognition. You know, when the Apostle Paul started off his ministry, I think he was a little prideful of what God was doing in his life. And he boasted. He said, hey guys, I'm not inferior to these apostles. I'm even, they're equal, all right? In other words, I deserve recognition. I'm more productive than all these apostles. I work hard. I suffer hard. I suffer more. But as he matured, he changed his tune, and then he said he was the least of the apostles. And then later on, he said, "I was born born one of out of due time." And towards the end of his life, he wrote the last epistle, 2 Timothy. And he said, I'm the chief of sinners. Now, how many of you know that when you move from the chief of apostles to the chief of sinners, you're making some progress in your life? Come on. You know, I I think we all go through the stage of, in my my personal life, I'm just thinking about this. We all go through the stage of... uh, building and we want more and we want to increase and and all this is wonderful, but I'm really at this stage in my life that all these things mean so little to me, you know. It's like, uh, I don't know how many people that are in Cornerstone. That's not my business. All I want is to make sure that the people that I, you know, it's, um, how shall I put it? We are responsible for those people that if God has given to us. Amen. We take care of the people nobody wants and God will give us the people everybody wants. Amen. And I think that's really important for me. It's, it's not how big the church is, how many buildings we have, and all those things. Somehow God has just dealt so much with me. He says, everything that you can see is transient and temporal. But what you can't see, what you put in the people, what you've sacrificed for the people, those things are eternal. Amen. Cornerstone is not buildings, man. And I, the first to apologize, because I, you know, I, I came from that whole real estate background and building line. I've always been fascinated with buildings and God had to deal with my life about this. And I know that some churches are in building programs and let's not be too concerned about those things, amen? Because what's more important is the eternal kingdom on the within, amen? And so God has really been dealing with my heart about this and I believe revival is coming. I believe God is gonna have a church without spot and wrinkle, hallelujah. You know, I think of Solomon. One of Israel's greatest king. What was the downfall of Solomon? If you think about this, before the women came into his life, what do you think was the number one downfall of Solomon? I think it was his building projects. That guy was a builder, man. He could build like nobody's business. He built chariot cities, he built storage cities, he built the temple, he built his palace, he built the house of forests, he built every he was a builder. And he got lost somewhere in the whole building process because of the pride that came upon him. Gotta be careful about this, cornerstone, amen? I just thought I'd drop that with you because I believe with all my heart that God is about to do something here in the church that requires more than us looking at the externals. It has to do with the kingdom of God within, amen? You know, when Jesus talked about the spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, and giving, what is the one common denominator? He said, you do all these things not to be seen, amen? And um, there's this inner compulsion in all of us to be regarded more highly than we think we truly are to give the impression that we are more spiritual than we really are. Whether you pray, fast, or give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And I've determined in my heart, Lord, whenever I give, I give in secret. Whether and When I pray, it's going to be in secret. And when I fast, it's going to be in secret. Nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to know. I have a friend called Fawn Parrish uh, who had a conversation with a friend who was on a 12-day encounter with Jesus. Gosh, don't we all dream about these things? I, when I read about these things, my, I salivate and I say, oh God, is this not what I live for, right? You know, this face-to-face encounter with Jesus, come on. And this is something I've been praying every day. God, I just want to have a face-to-face encounter. I just want to see you. I just, I don't care what, I don't care whatever happens in my life. That's all I want. I want to see you, God. I want to see you. It's my burden. That's my burning desire. And we have to be careful that in our day-to-day routine, you know, in our daily uh, devotional, that we are not metastasizing dullness of heart. A.W. Tozer said, there's nothing more deadening to the soul than the continual handling of holy things. Hey, my friends, don't ever lose the wonder of who Jesus is. Amen. Amen. When you see the cross, does it move your heart every day? Don't ever treat the holy things of God lightly. Don't ever treat the holy as though they are common things. You know, I want to stand here and apologize. Because several years ago, I made a joke over a pulpit about circumcision. I told a joke, everybody laughed, it was a funny joke. And the Lord said, don't you ever say that ever again. I apologize for that. I made fun of a holy thing. I don't ever make fun of communion. I saw people posting jokes about the communion. Jesus bled and died for us. How can you make a joke out of that? Don't ever make a joke out of baptism. Don't ever make a joke out of the virgin birth. You know, the virgin birth is so holy that the writers, the New Testament writers could not even put a word to describe the baby Jesus. They could not even find a word. So they said, this is a holy thing because they couldn't find any other word. It was so holy. And I see people on Facebook putting memes, funny memes about Jesus uh, giving birth and Mary and all kinds of things. Don't do that. That's desecrating that which is holy. And I determined, Lord, I will never, ever, ever stand up on the pulpit and tell a joke that has to do with the, with the holy things of God. And she said, in one of these encounters, this man saw a vision of Jesus on the cross. There was a group of businessmen at the foot of the cross. They were nailing the name cards at, on the cross, thousands of name cards, and the blood dripping from him covered those name cards and she said there's coming a day when our need for validation our need for recognition will be washed by the blood of Jesus and our tendency to franchise the gospel how in the world can we ever think that we can capitalize on the blood of Jesus Christ I cannot stand it I tell you this I have these people putting their sermons. And if you want, you have to pay money to, to, to get into it and then buy the sermons. And I'm thinking to myself, I have 700 sermons in my thumb drive. I've given them to all my pastors. I said, you can preach my sermons any day, anytime you want. It's all yours. If you And I update them and I give them the new updated copies if they want to. Anytime. This is my life's work. I'm giving them my life's work because I'm telling you, freely you have received, freely give. In, in Cornerstone, copyright means the right to copy. Hallelujah. There's nothing. Listen, I am the most unoriginal person you'll ever meet. I don't have a single original thought. I don't have one single original thought. And even if you think some you had something that was original, it was given to you by heaven. So I've got nothing original. How can I copyright anything? How can I make money from that which has been given freely to me? And I tell you this, we will never capitalize on the blood of Jesus Christ. It's too holy, amen. So we do songs, and uh, I I don't know how we can go about doing this to make things free for people. You know, Evan Roberts walked into church, the guy who who precipitated the world's revival walked into a church one day, saw the cross, and his heart was unmoved. And he said, That which I feared has now happened to me. I don't want to walk, I don't want to go day by day without having my eyes moist with tears. I don't want to go day by day without my heart ever being moved by what Jesus Christ has done for me at Calvary. I'm telling you this, that's a good barometer. When was it last that you wept, you shed tears and you cried and said, God, I love you so much. When was it last that you fell on your face before him and said, God, I want more of you. I just love you with all my heart. When was it last that your heart was moved? If you Remember the days that you were full of zeal? Remember the days that you were full of passion? You wanted to share with Jesus, with everybody else? Remember the time that you were praying and all you wanted to do was spend? time with him. Go back to those days. Go back to those days. Amen. This man saw future songwriters writing amazing songs and nobody knew who wrote their songs. Come on. They were dedicated to the king. Amen. I love that. I love that. They wanted to have Jesus to have all the glory. He saw speakers intentionally blurring their faces on social media as they proclaimed the gospel because they wanted Jesus to have all the pre- preeminence. If Jesus is all you have, I tell you this, he is all that you need. Amen. All right, I gotta quickly take this to a landing. Um, the fourth subtle form of pride, subtle form of pride, is taking an honor that does not belong to you. There's a story in the Bible of another king called Uzziah, military genius. Israel was blessed and expanded her borders because this man uh, could make extraordinary weapons of war that gave Israel sort of the military edge over the enemies. And it says in Two Kings, Two Chronicles, chapter twenty-six. His fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. Watch this. When he was strong, he was, I tell you this, a Derek Prince used to say this, when you're strong, you're usually wrong. Amen. Amen. <laughs> His heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord by entering into the temple of the Lord and burned incense at the altar of incense. Uh, Listen, my friends, this man who God so marvelously aided, so supernaturally helped, became filled with pride and thought he could take the role of a priest that was reserved only for the sons of Aaron. That was another form of pride, deception, deception of pride. When you think you are limitless and people who are like this always quote the scripture, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Well, if you read that Bible verse, you go back to the context. Paul is incarcerated. He's going through the difficult times in his life. He says, I, sometimes I have nothing. Sometimes I've learned to be a base. I've learned to be a bound. Sometimes I don't have food to eat. Sometimes I have food to eat. But in all things, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Come on, hallelujah. Amen. If you think you can do everything, if you think you're limitless, I can cover the ministry that's not mine. The result is he was struck with leprosy, died a leper, sad ending for a man who was so endowed with grace. My friends, I'm telling you this. Don't take an honor that does not belong to you. A lot of people now call themselves pastor. I, don't, I really don't care about titles anymore. At one time, I used to. I don't care now about this. Right? I have no problems if you call me by my first name, which is, which is Don't okay. care. I, the reason I do this is because when I travel, they mutilate my name all the time. They cannot, spe- they cannot pronounce Jung. So I just, just call me Tuck, like in Tuck Shop, all right? So people, just, I, you just call me Tuck, right? And if you are uh, in this church, I have no problems. We, the only reason why we, we assign a title is to teach young people honor in this house. We don't like our kids calling us by my first name, right? It's the same principle. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm just a sluggish piece of aging humanity. I'm just an earthen vessel with glaring shortcomings and weaknesses. It's taken many years for me to realize that. But anyway, finally, the last form of pride I want to talk about is entitlement. And you know, Singaporeans are some of the most entitled people in the world. Very, very bossy, very arrogant, sometimes very proud, prideful. Uh, Lee Kuan Yew said this once in a speech in 19... 19- 77 he said you know the singaporean he's a hard-working industrious rugged individual or we would not have made the grade but let us also recognize that he is a champion grumbler (laughs) yep that's us that's us singaporeans are very entitled when we travel i mean boy you know singaporeans they know how to make a scene People who have the higher tier, you know, privilege and, and travels, very demanding, very demanding. I I worked hard for this. I paid for this. I, I demand this with, you know, and, uh, and so we got to, that's a form of pride, and we got to come to that place and say, God, it doesn't matter. Amen? Doesn't matter. Hallelujah. All right, finally, let me just, uh, let me just quote one last scripture, and I'll, I'm done with it. Uh, This is Philippians chapter 2, which I think is the most counterculture chapter in the Bible where it cuts against the cross of uh, society. And especially for those of us who are young, urban, trendsetting professionals, Paul's message in Philippians chapter 2 simply is, if you want to be truly great, then the direction for you to go is down. Right. In other words, you descend to greatness. You don't ascend to greatness. You actually go down to greatness. And greatness is not a measure of self promotion, it's a measure of self-abandonment. Everything that's in the world that does not want, it's demotion, servanthood, humility, anonymity, decreasing, losing, finally dying. Who wants that, man? Who wants that? And yet that's exactly what Jesus is calling us. When he said, follow me, he says, follow me to my death. Follow me in the way of humility. Follow me downward. Hallelujah. Amen. If you truly want to be a disciple of Jesus, the way up is the way down. You know, our Lord hides among the nameless and faces. He hides among the poor. I, at this stage in my life, I want to make sure that I get my slate clean. I'm getting right with everybody else. Now, I want to just say this to you with all sincerity. If I've hurt any one of you, if I've offended any one of you in this church, if I've done anything that, you, you, that hurt you, I want you to write to me. I want you to say, Pastor, you said this about me, or you said something, I was hurt about this. And I want you to give me the opportunity to make things right with you. Because I don't want to stand before the Lord and have to explain why I did what I did. I want my slate to be clean. I want God's blood to wash everything in my life. I'm telling you, I talk to my pastors all the time. I say to them, all I'm doing right now is preparing myself for eternity. I have to acclimatize. Brother Bailey always said to me, tuck in, you acclimatize yourself for eternity. Not on this earth. Our future, our destiny is in heaven, amen? Our destiny is in eternity and we must be prepared for heaven. And I wanna make sure that every, my relationship is right with everybody in the church. I wanna make sure that if I've heard somebody that things are made right, because I believe this is the most important to come to a place where our lives are pleasing before God. Amen. And so my, my brothers and sisters, I believe this is something God has put in my heart. I'm going to close with a, uh, to read a narrative here from a book by Francis Schaeffer who wrote The Christian Manifesto. And uh, this is not part of the sermon. But I'm going to close with this because this is probably one of the most amazing, uh, a, amazing uh, description, a most vivid description of the nativity scene. And let me just read this to you. Uh, it's, it's, it t- it'll take about two minutes, but I think it's worth listening to it. Um, a gripping contraction doubles Mary over and sends Joseph raising for a bucket of water. The birth would not be easy, either for the mother or for the child, for every royal privilege for the son ended at the conception. A scream from Mary knives the calm that silent of that silent night, Joseph returns Breathless, water slouching from a wooden bucket. The top of the baby's head is already pushed its way into the world. Sweat pours from Mary's contorted face. Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in all of Judea, returned to her side. Voluntary contractions are not enough. Mary has to push with all her strength, almost as if God was refusing to come into this world without her help. Joseph places a garment beneath her uh, and with a final push and a long sigh. Her labor is over. The Messiah has arrived. Elongated head from the constricting journey to the birth canal, light skin as the pigments would take days to service. Mucus in his ears and nostrils wet and slippery from the amniotic fluid. The Son of God, the Most High, umbilically tied to a small Jewish girl. Mary bears a chest and reaches for a shivering baby as she lays him on a chest. His helpless cries subside as his tiny head bobs around the unfamiliar terrain. This will be the first thing the infant king learns. Mary can feel his racing heartbeat as he gropes to nurse. Deity nursing from a young woman's breast. Could anything be more amazing? Could anything be more profound? Joseph sits exhausted, silent, full of wonder. The baby finishes and sighs. The divine word is reduced to a few unintelligible sounds. Then for the first time, his eyes fix on his mother. Deity straining to focus. light of the world squinting the hands that once sculptured the mountains cling to her fingers she looks to joseph and through a watery veil their souls touch he crouches closely cheek to cheek with his beloved betrothed together they stared all at this baby jesus whose eyelids now begin to close it's been a long journey the king is tired and so with barely a ripple of notice god stepped into this warm lake of humanity without protocol, without pretension. Where you would expect angels, there were only flies. Where you would expect head of states, there were only a few donkeys, sheep, cows, a tattered camel and a scurry of curious barn mice. Except for Joseph, there was no one there to share in Mary's pain and joy. As the angels sounded the Savior's arrival to a, blue, a band of blue-collared shepherds. Yes, a magnificent star shone in the sky to mark His birth but only three foreigners aborted to look. Thus, in the little town of Bethlehem, one silent night, the royal birth of God's Son tiptoed quietly while the world slept." I want to, to do something now that I feel it's really important. It's part of the humility and that we, it's, it's to go on our knees. Paul said, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. You are gonna bow your knee to Jesus one way or another either in heaven or in hell. But whether you're in heaven or hell, you will have to bow your knee to Jesus. But if we bow our knee here, we can be sure we will bow our knee then, hallelujah. Amen. And it's part of the whole idea of worship. It's to prostrate, pray, prostrate ourselves, proscuno, it's to humble ourselves and go on our knees and say, God, I I give my life to you, I surrender. Would you just get on your knees, ladies and gentlemen, and on this uh, final weekend, in Cornerstone as we come to a close of 2021 to say God I humble myself before you. Now for those of you who are older and you cannot bend your knees it's okay you may just sit on the chair but for those of you who can I'm I'm besieging you I'm pleading with you this is an opportunity to bend your knee to the Lord and Savior to Jesus, our King. Hallelujah. Father, I come before you this morning and I bend my knee before you, before the congregation. And I humble myself before your people, Lord. And I say, God, that I am nothing, Lord. That I'm just a sluggish piece of aging humanity, Lord. That, Lord, there is things in my life that needs to be cleansed and washed and repented, Lord. Father, I'm just as, I'm a weak earthen vessel, Lord. I am full of weaknesses and full of frailties and full of fears. Lord and I come before you and humble myself before you as do these people Lord that are before you today we humble ourselves before you oh king we we ask you oh Lord God to be merciful to Cornerstone Lord as we come to a close of 2021 Lord I know that next year is going to be a glorious year I believe that God has given me the team for 2022 and it's come Holy Spirit hallelujah come Holy Spirit God is going to excel himself I believe in ways that we've never seen before, but I believe that it takes preparation. God is bringing us closer and deeper. My friends, over the last few weeks, has been an amazing time for me. Um, Chris Berkland had a dream. He wrote to me. He said, Pastor Young, we were together in this dream and we were sitting down in a beautiful garden. There was a, a stream of water by one side and there was a Bible opened up and we were talking about Hudson Taylor and the price that he paid for the gospel and the Bible was opened up to Amos chapter 9 and verse 11 where the Lord talked about restoring the tabernacle of David he said Pastor that's the mandate for you to establish the tabernacle of David in Cornerstone The tabernacle of David was a prayer center, hallelujah. Not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile as well. It had no veil and they could see the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God. There were men and women totally given to the praise and worship of this of this tabernacle of David. And I believe that this is my assignment in my next season of my life here in Cornerstone is to establish this church as a house of prayer for all nations, hallelujah. And I believe that this mandate is from heaven above. It's God speaking to us. This is what I desire for Cornerstone. I want this church to be a tabernacle of David that I will restore in the last days, hallelujah. So Lord, it's with humility that we humble ourselves before You and accept this commission, Lord. And I pray that this house will be a glorious house, Lord, full of glory Lord I thank you God that in this hour Lord you are laying in Zion for a foundation a stone a tried stone a precious cornerstone a sure foundation hallelujah I give you praise Lord I give you the glory amen hallelujah please stand up with me ladies and gentlemen and we're going to close with this song I want you just to worship Jesus as we come to the last service of 2011 2021 just worship him with all your hearts hallelujah (laughs) Shaka rababa sotoro, shaka rabba sotoro. The
1: dev could not hold the veil tall before you. You
0: we declare King. your kingdom Lord we declare Yours your power Lord we declare your glory Yours over the house, Lord
1: Nothing can stand against What a powerful name it is The name of what a Jesus name of What a powerful name it is What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus Christ my King Yes. What a name is, the name of Jesus.
0: And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and grant you his shalom. And the blessing of God the Father, the blessing of God the Son, and the blessing of God the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give God a big praise. Amen. Come on, shout unto him with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Amen.